I was just thinking about that song, the word reckless. God isn't reckless as in unwise. It, it, it's, it's more like where something doesn't make sense. Does it make sense for God to forgive us and to, to do what he did for us? Anyway, I'm going to stand up here so you guys can see me. Um, good morning. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. Hope your new year is, is going well. Uh, last month, we were going through uh, the, gospel, the second New Testament book, the gospel according to, to Mark. Um, and then Christmas came and went. And at the end of last month, we got to Mark chapter 3. But as Pastor Gary said, it's now January. We're going to be setting a foundation uh, for this church for this year. And so Pastor Gary started us off last week with uh, speaking on an, an undervalued, precious gift, and that being the church, the local church. And he mentioned that there is no perfect church because there's no perfect people. And he challenged us to commit to a church, any church, uh, where you can trust the leadership. Because uh, joining a church uh, is, is really saying to that leadership, I, tr- I, I, I trust you, I authorize you to speak into my life, to encourage me, to hold me accountable, even to correct me in love if needed. But if there has been a, a church in your past where the leadership has hurt you in any way, has controlled you or manipulated you or, or abused you in any way, I just want to say I'm, I'm sorry. Um, that is not the church that God intended it to be. Um, but we here at Somos Community Church, we will do our best, as imperfect as we are, to, to love you and to love this community. Uh, I'm going to uh, continue our series with something, uh, an aspect of the church, which is, I believe, undervalued but yet precious. But before I do, would you pray with me? Thank you. And God, I just uh, I thank you for every person in this room and uh, I pray that you would connect my thoughts with my heart and my heart with your heart so I can communicate what you want to communicate in Jesus name amen isn't prayer wonderful I am so glad it's not a crime to pray in America but it is a crime for failing to appear in court for a DUI so when an Ohio man did that, he took off for Florida. But the Lima, Ohio Police Department put out an arrest warrant for him, and then they posted a picture of him on their webpage, on their Facebook page. But the man goes online, and he doesn't like the picture. So he does something brilliant. He texts the police department a selfie saying, this one is better, that one is terrible. And uh, if you didn't know, the police have a way of uh, tracking even text messages with the help of the phone carriers, and they arrest him in Florida, and he goes to jail. And that reminds me of another story of two Welsh tourists who were in Australia, and they got drunk, and they broke into a sea world in Queensland. And after swimming with the dolphins and vandalizing the shark exhibit, They make off with a penguin named Dirk. And then they 
they get caught trying to release Dirk into a canal. But don't worry, the, the penguin was, re, was returned unharmed. But James wasn't. James was taken and from his friends and family, and, and he was put in, in prison. This James being a, a disciple of Jesus, one of Jesus' inner circle disciples, one of the three that Jesus brought up on that high mountain where they eyewitnessed Jesus transforming transfiguring into this brilliant, radiant splendor. This same James was arrested by King Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. And James was was put in prison. And then he was brought to court and he was tried and, and he was executed with a sword. Herod Agrippa saw how that pleased the Jewish community that had rejected Jesus. So he went on to arrest Peter. Now, other Christians had been martyred before James, but James was the first disciple. So now Herod arrests Peter. And Herod puts him in what we think was the innermost dungeon of a prison that was constructed between the outer and inner walls surrounding the city of Jerusalem, with a gate in the inner wall opening up to the city. And Herod assigned 16 soldiers to guard Peter. And Peter was chained. One arm, his, his right arm was chained to a soldier, his left arm chained to another as he sat in this dungeon. You could say it was a maximum security prison. And it was the night before Peter was to be put on trial and executed. And look what happens as we look in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. And he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When he had... When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Oh, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
And Peter mentioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. So what was Peter doing the night before he was to be executed? He was sleeping. He wasn't singing. He wasn't worshiping. He wasn't even praying, at least at the moment the angel came. But there was someone praying. It was a small group of Jerusalem Christians in a house. And they were praying for Peter's release. Because they knew that when Christians come together, that powerful things can happen. When Christians come together in one accord, in unity, powerful things happen. The kind of power that frees people from prisons of fear, of doubt, discouragement, loneliness, worry, prisons of sin and temptation. And the first century Christians knew that. And that's why in Acts chapter 5, we see that the Jerusalem Christians met daily at the temple courts or in house to house. And I'm not saying that every Christian met daily. I'm saying daily Christians met together because they understood that when they do, that, that powerful things happen. I stopped going to... A, when I was in high school, I stopped going to a small group we called youth group because I was so uh, overly committed to sports competitions and sports kind of became my God. And so I, I stopped going to youth group. I stopped going to summer camp, winter camp. I even didn't go to church every Sunday. And by the time I got into college, I was a spiritual mess. I had no one speaking life into me, encouraging me, keeping me on the right path until a college minister came along and invited me to his small group, a campus outreach. And I got back on the right path. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together, not just on Sundays, but let us encourage one another. Because when Christians come together, even in small groups, there is power to change the future. Ivan McGuire was aspiring to be the best skydiving videographer, photographer in America. By the age of 35, he had over 800 skydiving filming uh, um, achievements. And he's in an airplane, and he's going to film a couple, and they jump out. And then he jumps out after them. And you see in the video, you see them, you know, soaring down. You see the clouds. And, and then there comes a moment where, where the couple pulls their ripcord and, and whew, they go up. And then all of a sudden, the, the video just goes crazy. Because that's the moment where Ivan goes to pull his ripcord. But there is no ripcord. Because he forgot to put his parachute on. And I found out that aviation rules and regulations requires that the pilot of the plane 
that every skydiver gets into must check and make sure they have their parachute on. And, and this pilot, he may have mistaken Ivan's filming equipment for a parachute, or he may just have not checked it. But, I, but I, I think we all have pilots in our life. But do we have good pilots? Do we have not so good pilots? But who is going to check and make sure your, your parachute is on? Who's going to check and make sure the buckles are tight? Are your... Do you have friends that are going to come alongside and say, you know what, I, I just, I have this word from God's word that I think you need to hear. Is, are your coworkers going to come alongside and say, you know what, you, you just look down today. Can I, can I pray for you? Do you have pilots, a pilot in your life that's going to encourage you, speak life into you, hold you accountable? Sometimes we get, we get into this routine in our lives, and we come to church and we check off the box. But then during the week, from Monday through Saturday, it's like we just don't see the power of God working in our lives or through our lives anymore. There may be this comfortableness that we've gotten into, and we don't notice that the buckle is loosening up. But when there's connection with believers, there is this encouragement, this accountability. And uh, in the past, always seems to, to have this way of, of coming back and, and keeping us, um, getting us off the right path. I remember when I was, I've, I've had like five knee surgeries, and there was a time in my life where I was, and I was getting older, and I thought, you know what, I, if I'm going to run a marathon, at least one time in my life, I better do it now. And so I, I started training for a marathon in, in, in the in, in midst, I was, I, I ran the, the Santa Barbara half a couple times, and but in that Santa Barbara half marathon, you, you get to a point where you go through this neighborhood and there's all these twists and turns and, you, and I would have gotten completely off the right path had not there been people at every corner saying, you go, no, you go that way, go this way. And I think we need people in our lives that will do that, that will speak into our lives. And I don't think Sunday mornings is enough. I really don't. A man was having a yard sale. And a minister comes along and he, he buys the lawnmower. Three days later, there's a knock on the man's door. He op- it's the minister. He says, this lawnmower is not working. C- can you give me my money back? And the man says, oh, no, it'll work. You just got to curse at it. <laughs> Cur- curse at it, says the minister. No, no, I haven't cursed in over 30 years. The man says, oh, no, you know what? Just keep pulling on the rope. It'll come back to you. You know, our past has a way it wants to come back around. And when we get in this complacency, this just going through the motions, it has a a way of coming back around. I'm working with a a man named Ernie who three years ago, he he, he met Jesus and he experienced God's forgiveness. But Ernie has a really bad past. But he started attending the church that I recently stepped down from, uh, being on staff at. Uh, he, he started attending just before I stepped down. So he remembers me as Pastor Kevin, but we end up, we're working together right now. 
And so two weeks, we're working, like two weeks goes by, and he goes, Pastor Kevin, you know, I just want you to know something. For, when I'm working with you, it, I just, I don't cuss. Just, you know, just the presence of a believer in your life can be an accountability, can be an encouragement, can, can be a challenge to, to just, you know, to be stronger. When two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst, says Jesus. When Christians come together, even in small groups, there is power to change the future by moving you into God's purposes for your life. Could you imagine? I mean, here is these, they're praying for Peter's release. God, can you please, uh, can you just please uh, free Peter? So knock on the door. Maybe Rhoda's the closest. I'll get it. And she goes to the door. It's, it's Peter. She runs back. They're still praying. God, and maybe just change hair. You guys, it's Peter. What? It's Peter's at the door. No, no, you must be out of your mind. You know, God, we just, no, guys, listen. It's really, no, it must be his angel. And they go back praying. God, there's still a knock. She goes, she brings Peter. Could you imagine how, where, where their faith went when they realized it's Peter out there? They're praying for his, they're probably just praying that, that he would just, that Herod would just change his mind and he just, but God uses an angel and practically delivers Peter to their door. Their faith must have just skyrocketed. Wow. And just... And if I think if Rhoda was here right now standing before you or anybody from that house of that small group of Christians and they had my microphone on and they could speak to you, they would say, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you could ask or imagine. Because when Christians get together, there's power. So last Christmas, you open gifts, you exchange gifts, maybe with friends or family or even coworkers. But wouldn't it be odd if you didn't open any of your gifts? A Canadian man in 1971 was 17 years old when his girlfriend gives him a gift, a Christmas gift. He puts it under the tree. Christmas comes. She breaks up with him. He doesn't open his gift. For 47 years, he doesn't throw it away. For 47 years, he holds on to this gift, but he doesn't open it until last Christmas. You know what it was? I'll tell you next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was just a book. But my point is, is every one of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come inside you. The Holy Spirit comes inside you and he has spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is powerful because he's God. So those gifts are powerful. But the Holy Spirit is love because God is love. And so those powerful gifts are meant to be used for loving purposes. They're relational gifts. The spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each and every one of us are meant to be used in relationships. 
Peter himself writes in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, everyone's given a gift. Use it to serve one another. But how can, we, how can your gift be opened in this family, in this body of Christians if we're not connecting? If you just come on Sundays, but there's no connection, then the gift that you have, which isn't for you, it's for us, how, do, how are we blessed with it? Art, where's art? Art right there, he, he has a, a spiritual gift of helps. He's always making coffee. He's always, and Linda is helping him, and, and Mike in the back, Mike Flippo, raise your hand, Mike. This guy is always doing the, these presentations for us week after week, and I'm here yesterday, and I come in the church, and there he is working on today's stuff, and then he gets done, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm here, and I, I look out that window, and he's pushing this janitor cart. He's cleaning the bathrooms. Mike has a, a spiritual gift of, of helps. And Tyson, he's always doing the sound week after week. He has a gift of helps. You may have a spiritual gift of administration. You may have a spiritual gift of healing where you can pray for somebody. Bam, they're healed. I was at a, a summer camp with the youth, and, and, and one of the camp staff leaders is playing a game with the kids, and he gets really hurt. He minimally, he bruises a rib, probably breaks a rib. A youth pastor grabs a small group of his kids. They go over to the, the staff member and they, they lay hands on him and they pray for him. Nothing happens. He says, let's pray again. They laid hands on him and they prayed for him. Nothing happens. But he doesn't give up, and they pray a third time. They lay hands on him. They pray, and all of a sudden, this staff member, he, start, he feels this warm sensation just go all through his body, and there's no more pain. He's completely healed, and he shared personally with me that testimony. I was at that camp when that happened. When Christians get together in small groups, powerful things happen. You may have the gift of evangelism. You can share with people the gospel message and they, they just open up to it. You may have the gift of teaching where you can lead a small group and go through maybe a, a book in the Bible and, and open up the understanding to people. Maybe the gift of compassion. But you have at least one spiritual gift, at least one. Um, Ernie, the man I mentioned earlier, Thursday, we're working together. I said, Ernie, let's pray for Danny and Chris, two other guys working, non-believers. No, no, I, I don't know how to pray. No, Ernie, just do this. Just, just, just talk to God, and you ask God to do exactly what he did for you for them. Oh, Okay. And he prays. And it was a beautiful prayer. And, I, and there was no angel showed up, no brilliance of light, but 
I know that something powerful started. The Bible, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, he says this, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So I'm doing that right now. I'm just spurring you guys on. Hey, you have gifts. Let's connect. Let's use them for each other because we're here to love on each other. And then and they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? God's heart is to reach non-believers, and it's through love. Tammy and I, we met at a small group. Her parents were hosting a small group in their house for their church, but that's not where I, 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 where I, I came to, to like her and love her, but we, I started a, a young adult group, and she became one of the leaders, and she, she was a preschool director, and, and one of the parents whose child she was caring for um, baked cakes and brought a cake to Tammy, and that day we were having our small group. So she brings it, and she puts it on a table, and she goes, oh, man, you got to smell this cake. It smells so good. So I went over to smell it, and she shoves my face right in the cake. <laughs> and that's where I realized I like her. And after we were married, we started a small group for single adults. And we made a lot of friendships that last. Rosie, sitting right here, she was a member in our single adult group. And a few weeks ago, I married her. I mean, not like, you know, married her. I, I married her and her husband, Gabriel. I mean, and we still, don't we still get together and Sometimes with Julie and Judith, and we hang out. Friendships, it's another beautiful uh, blessing that comes out of small groups. So I would just challenge you to find or create a small group where you can encourage one another, where you can grow deeper. And when your gifts are used, let me tell you, your, your faith grows I want to close with this story. My, my family went to a Knott's Berry Farm when my, my sons were like four and six. Uh, Caleb, my youngest, was four. And so we brought in a, a portable, you know, stroller, the kind that fold up and we, to put our stuff on. And, and I was pushing it around the park. And we get to, uh, is it Snoopy Land? I, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm going, I look around, I'm like, where's Caleb? I go, Tammy, where's Caleb? And she goes, she looks around, she goes, I don't know. Kyle, do you see, where's Caleb? I don't know. And so we start running back the way that we had come, and I'm, I'm going like all over the place with the story, yelling, Caleb, Caleb, where are you? Caleb, you guys see, and they're yelling, Caleb, where are you? And all of a sudden I hear, Daddy, I'm right here. Where, Caleb, where are you? Caleb, Daddy, I'm right here. I look down. There's his little blonde head in the stroller. You guys, I found, I found Caleb. Come on, he's right here. Tammy says, where was he? In the stroller. In the what? In the stroller. She looks at me, and you know what she says? She says, absolutely nothing. But her eyes said, you nincompoop. <laughs> but I'll never forget that feeling. I lost my son. I lost my child. And God, I believe, feels that same feeling for every lost person 
for every person he doesn't have a relationship with, and for every Christian that has wandered off the path and wandered away from him. And so connection, small groups, is a way of of keeping each other on the right path. And they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for reminding us that even in this busy world that is so important for us to connect with each other, for our sake and for their sake and for the sake of the church and the church for the sake of the lost, pray, God, that you would direct our thoughts and our steps as Pastor Gary comes up and speaks about the life, the small group opportunities that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.